Welcome to Noble Warrior. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about purpose-driven organizations. We're going to talk about mindset. We're going to talk about mental models. We're going to talk about actionable tactics such that you can go out and build and scale your purpose-driven companies. My name is CK Lin, biomedical engineering PhD UCLA, turned startup founding team member that went from my idea to a company of 200 plus employees with that turned executive coach, helping founders, entrepreneurs, specifically regarding their mindset and culture. My next guest, she helps consultants to, to double their revenues by working with perfect clients. She's the founder of the 9X Yes Formula. She's also the host of this new profitable joyful consulting podcast. Please welcome Samantha Hartley. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here, Samantha. I really appreciate you. I'm excited to be here with you, CK. So we never met in person, but I always I appreciate <laughs> the message that you bring because in between the lines, well, first of all, you, your company is called Enlightened Marketing. I like enlightenment. Why don't we start there? <laughs> enlightenment. Thank you. Thank you. And I do get a lot of response from people saying that. And I think that's really important. If if you put out something with pure intention, the response to it will be positive. And I, I do hear from a lot of people who have much more negative response to things. And I'm always surprised and I feel uh, very grateful that that isn't, that's not the community that I've built. And I think that it has been, that it is positive because that it's it's been driven by what I want to do and, and who I want to attract. You know, I really want to attract certain people into my community. So let's actually talk about that for a little bit. Just zoom back out from mm -hmm. for a moment. You are where you are right now. Was there certain challenges that you have to overcome that cultivated this deep, deep desire to attract the people you want to attract to focus on joy and, and enlightenment? Definitely. It was almost all challenge based. I think, you know, when I started, I was like, who could I help? You know, the whole wide world. And then as I began to work with on the kind of work I did, the kind of companies that I worked with, the kind of people I worked with over the course of that, I got very clear on who was not a good fit for me, who I loved working with, the kind of work that I was doing that was just very draining as opposed to the work that just kind of like gave me energy. And I saw that same thing reflected in my clients. So I could see that it is important to choose, well, to let's say to choose with an, and do things with intention in your business. And the the number one thing, and this is why it's literally the first episode on my podcast is perfect clients. And a lot of people will say, you know, you really have to just work with whoever shows up. And I'm like, okay, do then do, because that's, you're going to get what you expect. Mm. And what I would say is I expect for perfect clients to show up for me and they do. And, you know, my calls will be, I'll be able to tell on the call if this is my client or not. And, you know, sometimes they choose to work with me and sometimes they don't. But I know that if I'm on a call with somebody that I'm having a great conversation with, that the marketing is working and my message is conveying who I want to work with. But I think it's important to point out, because I think people will experience this in their own work, that I had at least three clients that made me so crazy. Okay. Can you come guys that? Can you... Give us an example. Oh, yes. I'll enumerate them because I think it's really informative. So first of all, I did work in the beginning with really large. When I first started, I, where I worked with much larger businesses and they wouldn't implement the work. And so I'd go back to them. I'd be like, hey, can I get a testimonial? How the results come out? And they'd be like, for whatever reason, like they got busy, organizational priorities took over. Who knows what? Maybe the thing I did for them wasn't good. I don't know. But in the end, they didn't implement the work. And I was like, I got to find people who it's important enough to them to implement the work. So that was my first kind of like broad, I don't want to work with that. So then I found smaller and smaller businesses. So the first one was a very interesting business, a, a, a local construction company. And I worked with that business. And I, I would call the owner visionary, but you know, like a lot of visionary CEOs, that's sometimes they're like a little distracted and too many things going on and things like that. That was a project where constantly late to meetings, I did a, a value base, so a flat rate on that, which meant that, you know, how, however many hours it takes, that's fine. Well, I was very new in my career, so I, I wasn't able to guard my boundaries as well. Guess what this project was about teaching me how to guard your boundaries. So I invited this client into my life to teach me what boundaries were and how to guard them. So first, uh, he was incessantly violating time boundaries. So I would arrive for our meeting and then I would just wait 
an hour whenever he decided to show up for that meeting. And I wasn't quite brave enough at the time to be like, it's 10 minutes after I'm going to go when he's ready to have a meeting with also this was when I did in person work. So that's a, a lot of the time stuff that he taught me. The next thing was I did payment for that one in three installments. So there was a beginning, middle and an end payment. Mm. Uh, never, ever, ever do this. You should take the, you definitely want to take a beginning, beginning payment because the project doesn't start. No work starts until payment hits just mm. for everyone to know. There is no contract. There is no agreement until someone has paid you. Mm. And if that's like the checks in the mail or like my credit card didn't go through, but I'm just waiting and I'm going to run it again. It's like, cool. Let me know when it arrives or let me know when that goes through and we'll start, but never before. If you mm. make an appointment and the, and the payment doesn't go through in the, in the meanwhile, you cancel the appointment and reschedule it for another time. So first mm. payment is almost always an indicator of how the project is going to go. Mm. So this one begins, it, the second payment is the issue in this one. So this is a, a person who is used to, in his work, he's doing construction. So halfway through a project, there's something to look at, right? I do strategy. So halfway through a project, there isn't something to look at. We're just at a, you know, there's not a, a milestone so it, here. There's the intangible good. He's looking for, yeah, he's like, I don't know. I want to see walls or something. And I was like, here's the work that's been done. And here's the agreement we had about when you would make the payment. So I basically had to sit and fight for that second payment, which I never in my life would have thought I would have been able to do. And if your value has been challenged in that way, I mean, talk about warrior. You really have to stand up and say one or two things. And I literally did say these words. So one of two things is going to happen. You're going to make this payment today or I'm going to leave and we're not going to do any more work together. So you let me know what you want to do. And in the end, he made that payment. And I've never, ever had to stand up for my payments like that again. I will say one th thing that isn't related to the story, but if you uh, don't have the last payment due at the end of the project or at the conclusion of the project, because if you do that, that means the client decides when the project is over and it, that can be never, especially with a client like this one who is constantly delaying things. You want to have them on a schedule of, of payments. I would say my second, uh, the second example who comes to mind is somebody who I, I really wanted to work with people like me who are per pursuing their spiritual path in their business. And I got to somebody who I don't think was resolved about the business aspect. So she's a new business owner. She was coming up with ideas that to her were revolutionary. And to us, anybody would see them as kind, kind of being ordinary. It was a branding agency. And so she'd have this thing that she wanted to do. And basically I would give her advice and then she would say, okay, but then she would reject the advice. So it was constantly me saying, well, here's how to do that thing that you want to do. And her saying, no, I don't want to do it that way. That's not like the sacred way to do it or whatever. The, the thing was, I know how to do what she wants to do. I've done it before. I have a you know proven record of that. And so it was hard for me to say, I can come up with other ways that you could do that. But the, the fact is there's like 10 ways and you're going to choose 10, one of these 10, but there aren't like 300 ways. And she was like, I'm going to choose something else. So finally I had a moment. She, it was very symbolic. Uh, we're in San Diego. It's pouring down rain, which I don't think happens very often. It was like, if this was a movie, this is how the scene would be running. Mm. And I said to my husband, I was like, she keeps asking for help and then not accepting help. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, maybe, uh, the way for her to learn what is right for her is to fail, right? And the the metaphor he used was maybe she, she needs to fly the plane into the side of the mountain. I'm like, but I can avert disaster. And he was like, sometimes that's how people learn. So I had to really step away from that thing. And that was my second major lesson is if people will not accept your advice, don't force it on them. People will tell you, I I don't want to do what you're telling me to do. Okay, fine. And the problem for me was I could help someone, but I can't help people who don't want to be helped. And I can't help people who won't help themselves. And I think every coach everywhere has had to learn that lesson. So uh, she was a big one for me in learning that. Mm. It's So this conversation, the metaphor you just shared is so timely because yesterday I actually interviewed one of the lead designers for the Virgin Galactic oh, uh, really? reusable shuttle. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow. So so today you talked cool. about metaphor. Yeah, it's really cool, actually. Yeah. Kids mid moment. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So so in the grappling of it, you are basically what I'm hearing you say is you have 
great intention to help people. And in this process, you encounter your personal challenges that you have to grapple with. You know, what is my value and what do I stand for? What is my commitment? What is my boundary? You know, yeah. who can I help and so forth? And you, you make those decisions, right? I do. And I also want to, I'm happy that I learned those things because I say that to my clients so that they don't have to learn them. I, I think everybody still has to learn whatever their version of that is, mm -hmm. but I don't think we have to learn it the difficult, painful way that I did. So if I can, I didn't know there was such a thing as having to stand up for your value because somebody who had an agreement with you to pay you might not pay you. I didn't know there was such a thing as like, somebody's going to be so disrespectful as to push you to like the ridiculous limit of disrespecting you. I didn't know people would ask you for your advice and pay you for your advice and then not accept it. I just, that didn't occur to me. So had those been ideas that had been placed in my head and I'd been told, you know, there might be a this, I wouldn't have tolerated those situations so long, but it's possible that those lessons wouldn't have stuck with me as long. So those are the things I needed to be taught through my business. That's my path to enlightenment. I, I think it's important for every business owner to, when they're looking at what their business is trying to teach them, to ask what am I being shown? You know, what is my business trying to tell me? Mm. So I have a question and this is something that I grapple with. Okay. So imagine yourself, do you know the yin yang sign pretty well? Yeah. Okay, cool. So in my mind, growth lies in the outside of the comfort zone, right? So when, at least that's my belief. Yeah. And at the same time, there's time for flow as well. And flow is not always comfortable. So, I'm curious to know your point of view because your whole thing is profitable, joyful consulting, mm -hmm. right? but rarely do opportunities or clients come with you so clearly black or white, rarely, usually is shades of gray. Mm -hmm. There may be 98% behavior, uh, behaving rightly and 2% of the time you're like, yeah, I don't know if I quite appreciate that part. Right. So I'm curious to know your point of view, since you stand for joy as yeah. part of your perfect client profile and everything, how do you discern this shades of gray, you know, opportunities coming away? I don't know if that's making sense for you. You know, I actually put together a, a little uh, assessment that people can use when they're kind of taking in clients as they're working on this, because how close is this person aligning to what is my perfect client? So it's like, are they aware of what their challenges are? Do I agree with them that those are the right challenges? Do they remind me of anyone I've worked with who was a nightmare? Things like that. So we can run through that assessment together and I will do that kind of, to me, I already have an intuitive feeling about it when I'm on the phone with someone. The interesting thing to me is also as you evolve as a person, your clients will evolve. And so a lot of clients that I considered perfect you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't consider them as perfect today because I'm looking for different things. I'm looking for different qualities and clients and the things that I might have uh, enjoyed or tolerated, I don't anymore. And I never expected to be someone who focused so much in joy in my business. And I've really had to kind of fight for that lately because I have a lot of people challenging the the idea of it as being optional. So I made a post on LinkedIn and this guy was like, joy, like we're, this, listen, this is not about fun. We're not going in and we're consultants are hired to do the work other people don't want to do. So you go in there and you, and I was like, dude, if you want to do the joyless work, I'm not going to take that away from you. Mm -hmm. But again, like you get what you expect. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, a business has to be joyful in, in addition to profitable, if it's not profitable, you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. And so in addition to profitable, it should be joyful. Why? Because if it's not joyful, it's not sustainable. Like you can't grind and grind and grind. And I'm, I'm super opposed to grind hustle. Yes. Grind. No, because it isn't sustainable. And I know that because I've done the grind for many, many, many years. Mm -hmm. And I just realized it just wears you down. And so if you seek the joy in your business and you realize I should be doing work that is joyful and with people who are joyful, then even if it's, even if as you work to make it more profitable, it's, you'll at least be able to stick with it longer and not be fried by it. The other place that joy comes up in my, in my business is the concept of joy and genius zone. And so we've all heard the genius zone. I think that's a Dan Sullivan term. 
Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I love the idea of working in your genius zone. But the interesting thing to me is that I can do stuff that's in my genius zone that wears me out. I don't want to do it just because I'm good at it doesn't mean I should do it. So like I'm a really strong writer, for example, but I don't write for my clients because writing is a high tax job for me. And I need to write only for my business because I don't have enough of that energy source to go around. But there's some other stuff that I'm not that good at, but I really love doing. And it's like, you know, it's a joy zone, not exactly my genius zone, but I sure have fun doing it. So in our work and with all my clients, what I try to do is help them to figure out for themselves, what is your genius zone? And then uh, of the genius zones that you have, because all of us have like, eh, I don't know, like five or six that are relevant to work which are the ones that you should be doing because they give you joy. So a lot of times that's doing strategy work with a client, but then some people don't have as much joy around the implementation phase or the other way around. Some people are like, I want to implement all day long. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I I see two kinds of experts out there. They're the experts who are like, they create IP, like they come up with uh, processes and signature systems and things like that. And then there are people who are like, I'm a trainer, man. Give me, I want to get certified in somebody else's material. And then what I'm awesome at, is engaging audiences and teaching that and doing that whole thing. Those are two different kinds of personalities, which are both super valid. But what you see is like this person needs this person because they have complementary skills. So I I really do try to be enjoying everything every single day that I'm doing. And I try to be doing that with clients and with people that I'm doing that with. And on my team, when I hire people, I ask them about their joy and genius zone. And whenever we give them tasks, I always say, is this a a joyful task for you? And sometimes they'll say like, I could do that for like an hour a day, but not like five hours a day. And perfect. So that's all I need to know. So here's a question for you, because joy is one of those things that it's kind of like, how do you describe bicycle riding or sex or weddings for someone who's never been in that situation before? You can do as much description as you want, but at best, it's like a, a, a caricature of what the actual experience is. Yeah. Joy is one of those things. Like when you feel it, you feel it. But until you feel it, the bliss or the yeah. light, you kind of have an idea, but not really. Yeah. So for someone who's never experienced joy in the corporate world, uh, working for themselves, how do you help them discover that? First, that we need to know what we're looking for. I think it's the things that you do that give you energy. Like you are more energized as you do them and after you do them than, than before you started. And there's plenty of things that I, I have experienced that I'm like, oh, I could do that all day long. It was like the, the, not just fun, but fulfilling. And what's kind of crazy is like, I'll also talk about, I've had moments when there was a conflict with a client and they were upset and they had this point of view. And I was like, oh, worried. And I went in and we talked and we talked it through. And it was like, what I would call a grown-up conversation. We had a very grown-up conversation and we worked through things. And then when after it was done, I was like, that was like among the most joyful things I've done. Why? Because okay, it, was like, so, so, so. it required like a lot of skill and focus and carefulness and you have to be hundred percent in the moment for that. And I mean, I wouldn't say that I could do that all day long, but I would say that the benefit of something like that if you've ever been in a situation, I, I would, here's another uh, example of that. So difficult time with client, death of a loved one, going through that process. I would call that when you're with them and, and you're experiencing the last moments of someone and you know, you're distraught and bereaved and all of these terrible things. But afterwards you think like back on that time period. And in many cases, I can feel a joy for that. So I call that soul joy. It's when I feel like we as ourselves going back to enlightenment are expanded as people. Like I did a really hard thing and I felt alive. Like we feel like I am having a full human experience right now. And I think that when I'm having difficult uh, times at work, it doesn't happen to be like all fun all the time. That's why when the guy was like, we're, we're hired to do the stuff clients don't want to do. I do stuff all the time. It's like a really hard thing, like getting out of my comfort zone or helping a client to get out of their comfort zone or dealing with somebody who's like in pain. But when you're in those moments, it's a real human experience. And I think it's expansive. And I'm like, I, I, that's the things that I want to have more of in my life. Not the, not necessarily the bad versions, but I don't want to not have the, that experience. You know, the whole, we need the whole range of human experience to expand as people. 
Thank you for sharing that. And that's actually what I was trying to distinguish a little bit. Because when people hear joy, they think like, ah, happy, lucky all, to, yeah. all the time. And, and yes, there's part of that. But really what we're talking about here, and I hope I'm not projecting, it's much deeper than that. Because ultimately, from my point of view, fulfillment is like that visceral, like, wow, like I'm a peak experience, whether it's going yeah. through the highest of highs or the lowest of lows, you experience that aliveness from that. Yeah, Is definitely. That oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And to experience yourself in new territory of being brave. That's I, I think that's a very joyful experience. Hmm. On this podcast, we oftentimes talk about things like Burning Man or ayahuasca ceremony or meditation or the difficulties of, of life because relationships, business, it requires one to get out of one's comfort zone. So yeah. part of my impetus of starting this podcast is that I enjoy this type of conversation, but, but to do it publicly requires me to embrace my, my courage and, yeah. and, and, and step into my prominence. So uh, bring it back to your experience in working with your clients. Part of your specialty is taking people who were in the corporate world, mm -hmm. empower them to step into their prominence or taking someone who works with mom and pop shops and allowing them to step into working with multinationals, right? Yeah. And yeah. that in itself is uh, a business journey, but as well as a spiritual journey as well. So mm -hmm. share with us a little bit how you guide them through that transformation. Well, a lot of people have more potential than they're able to access. And they very often when they come to me, they suspect it. They feel like, I think I should be doing like making way more money or working with much bigger clients or people should know who I am. I should be famous. You know, I will hear that from my clients. I agree with you. <laughs> You're not hearing that for no reason. One of the spiritual teachers that we follow is Carolyn Mace, and she calls the ego, the horses that pull the chariot. So an ego isn't a bad thing. The ego is the thing that's pulling you and saying, Hey, you, you need to be out there. You have bigger, better things to do. And that's not a bad thing. That's your calling. So I will hear people say that. And instead of shaming them, like maybe other people in their lives have done, I will say, I believe you, let's make it happen. And so then in, in the process of whatever that is, we're doing it through the medium of business. So it's like, how are we going to do that? Which clients are you going to work with? What are you going to do for them? How are we going to find those clients? And then how do we structure your business? So we do all of those practical things to get them there. And along the way, what happens is they, they uh, will encounter all the obstacles that prevented them from doing this already. And a lot of times that's going to be fraudulence, right? Yes, there'll be some voice telling them, who do you think you are? to do this? What makes you think you're the mm -hmm, whatever? So that's a very common thing that comes up that we'll work on. And I'm like, I think you're the person who was put on the earth to do this thing. And I really do believe that. Sometimes I, I'm able to snap them out of that merely by believing in them. And sometimes we have to do a lot of work on that. But my belief is that we we're all sent to the planet to do something. And that if you figure out what that is, and you do it, you won't have any competition. Because other people, uh, you'll only have competition if they're doing your thing instead of their thing. So just do you at the maximum level, which is what all of us actually just need support in doing is figuring out who we really are because we have who we suspect we are. And then there've been all the voices who said, no, you're not all that. And then you need to find other people who are big enough um, and expanded enough to be able to see you and say, yes, I see that too. One of the metaphors that we've heard used before is like the idea of Gulliver. You know, Gulliver, he was this big giant who landed in the mm -hmm. land of Lilliput and there were all these little people around him and they could only see so much of him. They couldn't take in the bigness of him. And I think it's really important to experience when you meet somebody else who can actually see you and see the fullness of you. It's an amazing experience. And I think that's when you're choosing a coach or a, a consultant that you're going to work with, it's very important to find a person who is like, oh yeah, I see that potential. So somebody comes to me and they say, I have a $2 million or $10 million or $100 million business, I'm going to tell them the truth. And very often I'm like, yeah, I know you do. Let's build it because it's the potential is already there. And as I said, you're not receiving that for no reason. You're not thinking those thoughts for no reason. Mm. Well, first of all, I think your clients are very lucky to have someone like you to actually see them as 
their infinite potentials, to see them as that possibility. I would say most of the world are quite limited in the level of consciousness that they are, which is totally okay, but they just see things. Uh, it's about the hustling. It's about the, yeah. the, the, the linear progression from starting from here and then build towards that versus starting backwards, seeing the vision, then work backwards to empower them to achieve that. So it's awesome that, that you do that. So a couple of points I can ask here, say someone is thinking, Hmm, Samantha CK, I agree with you. Love to have someone like Samantha to, to empower me to step into my next level, but there are 7 billion people in the world. How do I recognize a Samantha CK? Yeah. Have an empowering listening of who I am as my infinite potential versus my limitations. Yeah. I think you could say the same thing about walking into an old school library where there's all these books in there. And it's like, there's a book in there for you. I know, but how do I find it? Well, just, why don't you just walk for a minute? Mm -hmm. Why don't you just walk? Just pay attention to where you feel like you're led. My husband and I have this kind of, over the course of our relationship of 20 years, we have this. Thank yeah, you. <laughs> that's, that's, that's something. Yeah, it is something. <laughs> we have a very easy time when people are like, marriage is hard. We're like, no, it's not. If you do your work and he does his work or the other one does their work, then you don't have to bring so much stuff to work out between the two of you. So we had a thing that was, I'm an intuitive driver. If I don't have the directions, I can find a thing. But when he doubts it, it ruins it. It breaks the spell. So I used to do that all the time at the beginning of our relationship. And he would be like, I don't know how you found this. I'd be like, oh, either. I just found it. And then somewhere along the middle, when we do our road trips, he would start to say, well, you don't know where we're going, do you? And I'd be like, I don't. And then it would break it. So intuition and that learning to acknowledge your divine guidance is really, really important. I just, so I just drove the other day and I just did a little thing and I said, Oh, you were quiet. And so you didn't mess me up. And I found a thing that I didn't know where it was. It was a place that we'd been, but it was a really long time ago. It's way pre pandemic. And we drove to that place again. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you need to develop as a human and as a business owner is the ability to get in touch with that voice. A lot of business owning is decisions and, and, really understanding intuition and guidance. And you can turn to an advisor, but really the advisor's role is to say back to you something that you already know, but it hasn't quite made it to consciousness yet, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of times when somebody tells you something, and I think this is really important because I have, I've worked with people before who will tell me stuff and I'll be, I like, I trust them. They are my advisor and I'm working with them for a certain duration and some of their advice I'll accept. And some of it, I'm like, okay, I know you believe that, but that's not right advice for me. Mm -hmm. I know enough to, to know what aligns with my values and what doesn't. And it's like, cool, uh, that you want that, but I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not that I'm uncoachable. It's that's not a fit. And I'm mm -hmm. aware enough of that. So I think if somebody is looking for who's the right mentor for them, just kind of raise your radar and set the intention, send up the intention to the universe. Like I'm looking for a, a mentor and I'm, I wonder what's out there. Mm -hmm. So I think of it as like a little buffet, buffet platter when they're kind of bringing you a little thing and there's like all different kinds of food on it. Mm -hmm. I'm asking the universe to bring me the universal buffet platter of mentors. And like, you'll notice that people will pop up and you'll be like, oh, cool. I just realized that's a mentor. Now that's not the one for me, but I saw that it was one. Thank you. Not that. Here's what I'm looking for. And mm -hmm. all of those kind of not quite that are going to help you hone what is that very specifically. Mm -hmm. I love that. So I'm starting to see a theme of process of elimination. What, what I heard you said is, first of all, set an intention. Yeah. What is it that you want? Even if you don't know exactly what it looks like yet, set an intention and start pulling that thread of curiosity. Just be curious about what's showing up and then you're going to have more data and then you can say, thank you. This is what I want. Mm -hmm. uh, and then this part, I don't particularly like that. Thank you. And let me, let me choose the next plate. Exactly. So and then you can start to hone in. And then the way I would interpret that use my words is not just the resume, the resume is the external is, is the tangible, but also an energetic resonance. Uh huh. Because sometimes you see people with a perfect resume, but energetic resonance isn't quite the same way that you are. Resume looks great. Yeah. But not perfect for you. Is that an accurate reflection of what you share? It is, except for I'm 99% resonance and 0% resume I, I or 1%. I, 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 
I really do not care about facts when I'm making a decision. And mm. many people will be stunned and horrified to hear me say that. I, I mean, there will be some facts that will be interesting to me, but if uh, there either is energetic resonance or there isn't, and mm. I like things can come to me in a very fact-based way. And then when I kind of check in as to whether this is the right next step, there can be, I left the Coca-Cola company. It wasn't fired. I just left because I hated it. And uh, people did not think highly of that decision. People in my life were not impressed with that. That seemed like taking the facts and doing something very stupid with them. And I was like, zero energetic resonance. And not only that, it's really, it's just not working for me at all. And I took off and launched my, I mean, I didn't immediately, I took a year off and then I uh, started consulting. But, you know, sometimes I think the, I'm much more intending to be aligned with the energetics of things. Mm. And so all of the surface stuff looks like isn't as important to me. Mm. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. I'm a, I'm a recover cerebralist, right? What I said right. might be too scary. How <laughs> what I said might be too, too, too extreme, let's say. Oh, no, no, not at all. So in my mind, it's, 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 it's not either or, it's actually both. Mm -hmm. I have to embrace both part of it. And hence why the way I do it is I will meditate, I will actually do my research, get the analytical data, all these things, but I won't no longer make decisions based on pure data. Uh -huh. I will now meditate on that based on that, that insight, that intuition that you had just talked about. And then once I do that, then, then I can make yeah. the decision aligned with my mind, body, my heart and spirit. Mm -hmm. I think it's great because the the data actually is giving you more information, uh, is giving your intuition more information. And that actually is something I do. It's funny because I, I will sometimes struggle with decisions and I'm super decisive when it's very clear to me. And so if it's not, when I'm indec indecisive, I feel like, I don't know, I just don't care. Like there's not, I don't have enough to, to go with. And so that I think is, you're saying that's a time to invite in more data points so that I can say, oh, now I, now I know. And a lot of people, when they come to me, they're new in their business. And so they don't know. I'm like, well, what if we created an e-learning program for you? Or what if you <clears throat> began working with those kind of global multinationals? And they might honestly say like, I don't, I, I, I use the, the metaphor of like, what are you going to want for dinner on Sunday? I don't know what I'm going to want for dinner on Sunday. I can only think about what I want for dinner tonight and maybe not even that. So if, if it's too abstract a decision, then we have methods that we use to kind of figure out, well, what do you want to pursue for now? But you've got to make a decision a little more, uh, you have to bring it closer to your current reality before you can do something about it. So this is an interesting point. I do want to segue a little bit about vision setting or goal setting interchangeable for now, but <laughs> so the analogy is if you go from point A to point B, if you don't know where point B is, you never get there. Right. So right. That's the cliche mm -hmm. at the same time. It, so on the surface, it may sound contradictory to what you just said, yeah. but I do want to inquire about that a little bit because the reality is we don't know our true capability is until we are actually in the middle of doing it. Right. Speak, right. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we don't know what we're truly capable of. Therefore, the vision that we have for the lifestyle that we want, the size of business that, that we want, or the kind of impact that we want to have, it's elusive. We just don't know. Yeah. So then how do you help your clients, let's say, concretize that vision such that they can you know, have a more direct path mm -hmm. toward that vision? It totally makes sense. So here's my method. I call it trying on the million dollar dress. So okay. you can adapt this to your numbers and to your um, clothing choices. Okay. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so my, doesn't have to be addressed. <laughs> uh, so my client came to me and she was like, I, the universe tells me I have a $2 million business. I said, I believe the universe because I did. And then we started building the business and I kept asking questions, the equivalent of which were like, so what are you going to want to have for dinner on Sunday? And she kept saying, I don't know. I, I've never done it. I don't know. I don't know. So <clears throat> let's do this do you want to pursue the global multinationals or do you want to continue to work with the mom and pops? Uh, I don't know. Well, let's try it on. Put on the, 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 the dress that is you're going to pursue million global, multina global multinationals and you're going to work with them and blah, blah, blah. And so we put that on. That means that you, you will do these things. And that means you can't do these things because 
if you're in a million dollar dress, like you don't wear sneakers and you don't jog on a dusty road. There are just certain decisions that are now are now automatic no's and some mm. automatic yeses. Mm -hmm. And so anytime somebody says to me what their p p future reality is or their potential reality is, and we're struggling that, with that, I'm like, well, try it on. So should I go into this per uh, person's program or should I choose to invest in this uh, software for my business? I'm like, I don't know, try it on and walk around in it. And what do you feel like? And so sometimes they'll come back and they'll be like, wow, I think I just felt like where I'm supposed to be. And sometimes they'll say, nope, that's not the right one. Good. So it's, it's as close to a visualization as we can do. It's as close to a kind of testing of that reality as we can do. But it's my method for seeing how I'm going to feel about something that I have, can't possibly know how I'm going to feel about. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. The million dollar dress. Uh, I, I might change that to a million, I don't know, maybe they'll do <laughs> or, thing or something. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why I'm an advocate for psychedelic use or ayahuasca, things like mm -hmm. that, because it's not just a visualization from the intellectual sense. When you're in it, you're in it. Like it, that's hyper reality and you're emotional there. Yeah. And then at, afterwards, you can then make a decision like, Hey, beliefs still serve me. Do I want to hold on to it or not? Yeah. Try and on address with hyper reality there. <laughs> yes. You have to blow up the reality that you're in to some mm. extent, right? I, I had a, a, a fear when I was a very young of, that was based on a, a play that I did. And the, and the girl in the monologue says, I'm afraid, basically, I'm afraid I will turn into somebody that, that nobody else, including me likes. I don't want to become someone that I won't like. And many times in my life, I have had to make decisions about what am I about to become someone that the current me wouldn't like. So when I joined the Coca-Cola company, I was kind of artsy theater gal. And I said, I, I knew completely that if I joined the Coca-Cola company, which is like a, a military, I'm going to turn into the kind of person that the person I am right now would not like. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, but it's my next step. So I'm doing it. And then I left and I can tell you that the person I am right now, I don't know that the person I was when I was in the Coca-Cola company would like this version of myself, but I do know that I've been many versions along the way. We're evolving, I hope, as people, the people who I want to be around are evolving as people and they're constantly evolving. And one of the, the secrets to my relationship with my husband is we do not resemble the people that we were when we started. So it's like, if we wanted to date other people, we are, <laughs> it's ourselves, but we're completely like 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. 5.0 versions of ourselves. So you can't solve problems from the, the reality where they were created. What I'm always looking for is what is going to get us to a version of ourselves we, where we want to be. And I'm delighted with the current version of myself, but I know that I have more potential. And that's this kind of ongoing evolution of somebody. And I think businesses can do that too. I, I think in the, the US, we're addicted to growth in businesses. And I don't think a business always needs to be growing to be valuable. That's the problem of capitalism is that it does. And what I like about consulting businesses is, hey, it's your business. You can do whatever you want to do with it. And if you want to work for four hours a week, or if you want to work a 60 hour week, like knock yourself out. It's really up to you as long as you feel that it's doing for you in your expansion and in your desire. Thank you for sharing that. Reflecting back on my own revolution. Uh... Revolution and revolution. Thank Very you. good. Thank you. <laughs> Transformation journey. Yay. Yay for uh, that revolution. Uh, so in my younger days it was outcome driven. Yeah. Hey, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, you know, not sleep, not eat, not date, not do anything until achieve this outcome. Yep. Try that for many, many decades. And upon realization that whatever thing, goal that I'm chasing, it's always, it's like the horizon. There's always... Yeah. What's next? Yeah. So why not actually try on something that I enjoy in this moment? Be joyful, as you said. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Totally. hundred percent. Now I have a follow-up question for you. I mean, obviously I'm a man and you're a woman and you particularly work with more uh, female entrepreneurs, right? That's, do you feel that there's more of an affinity for, Hey, let me take care of myself mm -hmm. almost in with, with female entrepreneurs or it's just like a human thing. And most people, entrepreneurs especially, just don't take care of themselves. 
I think it's totally depends on what your perception of, of what your role is, because, you know, I think I could as easily talk about the men who are like, they're pushing and grinding in the business, but behind them, there is a partner who is like doing all the dishes and taking care of all the kids. And like, or actually is really doing the, the, the heavy lifting in the relationship. And they're feeling like, Oh, I never sacrifice. It's like, well, you kind of do. Cause you put somebody else to work. So, and uh, <laughs> I dealt, yeah, I delegated all the junk at home because that's not how I grow my business. That's not important work. It's like, well, it's kind of how we grow the whole thing together. So now I'm going to disclaim, I do not have kids. So I didn't have to have that as, as I was about to say, distraction as a, a blessing in my life. I, I didn't battle that, but I, I think it depends on the person, how much, you know, what your values are and, and how you can live in, in alignment with them. My whole life, my, uh, from the first time I did my, you know, I assessed my values and I figured out what they were, their love, health, and security in that order. I'm not interested in life in which there isn't love. So I was like, well, I, there's nothing that's higher than that priority than that. So love is first. And then I'm like, well, if you don't have your health, what do you have? So I was like, well, obviously health is next. I couldn't prioritize money over those two things. So security had to fall to the third level. And for years and years, possibly more than a decade, my life was run by my third priority. Hmm. So it took me a really, and even, and I was aware of it and I'd even be kind of on my little hamster wheel going, I should probably do better with my health. And I should probably spend more time with my husband, but oh my gosh, you know, I've got to do this work. And then one eventually, you know, and I don't know that there's a milestone for this as much as there's kind of like an arc of transition, a lot of which uh, was related to moving to Martha's Vineyard where we live. We live in paradise. It's just a place where when you arrive, your blood pressure goes down. I mean, we used to come here on vacation and I would just transform energetically coming here. And when we moved here, I said, I don't want to ruin what is good about that place because I don't want to turn it into my, you know, I don't want to bring the grind here. And, and luckily I didn't. And I was really able to kind of transform things. And over the last probably two or three years, I'm living my values in that order. So I think if you're listening and you're not clear on what your values are, or if you feel like my life is out of whack, why? Then I think you have to reassess. It's very hard to me to be aware of something and then not do it. So when I was aware that I was living out of alignment with my values, I, I, again, it wasn't a speedy turnaround. It was probably six years where I began, where I was in the process of turning that around. But I finally got that around to where now, um, you know, that little pyramid looks right. So it's a thing that I definitely work with my clients on. And, and I do have male and female clients. And I, you know, I have women who I'm like, well, you have to stop working like that or you're going to destroy all your health. And then they'll come back to me and say, yeah, I had a health problem. And I'm like, I told you you're going to have a health problem. Now let's work on this. Oh, you, you're still doing it again. Okay. Tell me, tell me when you're done with this so that we can talk about like that you continually have health problems because you're not doing this thing. So I hope that I'm able to be empowering enough to them to say, these are the choices that you can make if you want to. Is there a preferred method that you use as a way to help them? Because if I'm hearing in between what you're saying is what you help your client with, what they're interested in is the business side, but you also provide so much more, right? The, the psychological, the mental, the spiritual, the self-belief, the, the identity shift, I mean, all yeah. of that. So is there a particular favorite method as a way to help them believe themselves more that you particularly like to, to use? I, there's a really practical thing you can do in terms of revealing what your current re priorities are, what your current values are, and how that looks like, what that looks like in your business. And, and it's called a perfect day exercise. So mm -hmm. if you just write down, like, this is my day, this is what my perfect day in my business would be like. So I did this with a client of mine who has a $750,000 business. And uh, she and the, uh, the business partner did this. She's liberating herself from the day-to-day -day and working on creating her perfect day. And then the partner will do that next. So they're kind of prioritizing the way that they're going to do things in the business. And we just created what's the perfect day. And it begins with meditation. And then I do my writing and then I um, do take some calls and then I do my exercise and then I have a healthy lunch and, you know, whatever is the, the layout for that day, we lay it out. And then you get it on your calendar and you do it. In this case, she was so booked up that she couldn't do it for like a month and a half. But there was a day that we got on the calendar and was able to do. I think the first time she tried to do it, she wasn't able to do it because the workshop moved and had a whole week. See what I mean? 
if you just figure out what is your perfect day, the, the other thing that happened was she looked at it and she said, oh, it looks like I'm not working at all. And I was like, well, actually what you're doing in that day is super revenue generating, but it doesn't feel like work because the work that you're doing is this kind of like $3 and 50 cents an hour work instead of this like million dollar business work. So you will see so quickly what your values are based on that because, and, and then I've had another client that we did this with a week the, for his whole business. We just laid out what's a perfect week. Do you take Fridays off or you take Monday mornings off person like I am? How much do you work in the business? How many hours do you put in? How many hours do you believe you're effective? So you just learn a lot of things like that. And for me to build my business around love and health and then security, it means that during pandemic, when my personal trainer, I can't go to her house at the crack of dawn anymore. So I'm doing the training when it's available and that's at 11 o'clock. Uh, twice a week. So guess what? My day moved around. And when clients are like, Hey, can I have uh, 11 o'clock on Thursday? I'm like, no, you can have 12, 15 on Thursday because that's, that's where the priorities lay for me. So try that exercise and see what you discover, because I have a feeling what you're going to discover is, well, this is impossible and this wouldn't grow my business and blah, 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 like that. And it's like, when you are your best self and when you're doing this stuff, what's on your agenda for your perfect day is going to be your joy and genius zone. Most likely for my client, it was writing, it was some calls, you know, creating uh, relationships, doing some outreach to create relationships. Those things grow the business much more than I was doing email and then I was doing our project management software and then I was doing that. Mm. One of the best quotes that I come across regarding, regarding what you just share is we make what we are because we have, you know, we work with a bunch of engineers and ultimately whatever it is that we make the ideas that we manifest in the world is a reflection of what we truly believe in. So if we are at a place where we don't take care of ourselves or neglect others, whatever our value system may be in our product, our service, our business, our culture, ultimately is going to reflect on, on all of that. That's the way I, I believe a way to reflect back to, to what you share. Yeah, absolutely. And you can look at your business and see it, it tells you things. What is my business telling me? You can see what it's telling you. Mm. Or that's sometimes a place where it helps to have someone else come in, a, a business coach who can, what do you think my business is trying to tell me? Do you mind sharing with us a transformational story? Because I, I, I love that you use transformation so broadly in the way you describe what it is that you do. Can you share with us maybe some transformational moments that you're like, wow, I really helped this entrepreneur with her life. Is there any moments like that? Yeah. One of my favorite stories of this is the client and we have referred to her a, a couple of times. So she came to me, she came out of mid-sized manufacturing in Chicago doing about $50 million manufacturing businesses, which is not large for manufacturing, but is in our world, a pretty good sized business. And she'd had uh, senior leadership roles there and she left and decided to do consulting. She did it a year on her own before she came to me. She'd done about a hundred and 50,000 her first year with a handful of clients. And when we talked, she felt like, no, they were okay. She kind of liked them, but some of them weren't super respectful of her. And she felt like she's the one who said, I feel like I'm on, got a $2 million year business. And I said, I believe you, let's build it. So her paradigm had been charging like $125 an hour. Why? Well, cause that's the, the, one of the clients that she worked with, that's how they paid. And so that's how she did it. And if you don't know what anybody else is doing, then that's what you do. So one of the reasons that I talk so much about not doing time-based pricing and how to price your services and things like that is because sometimes there's nowhere else that people will hear it unless they hear it from me. So she wasn't sure how to go about creating what she wanted. And what I knew is that the she's got a very unique uh, skill set and uh, the the gift that she brings to the world is actually best received by much larger companies because it's a people thing. And it's good to transform people issues at a 25 person company. Of course, it's great anywhere. But when you have like a 25,000 person company, then this is a big issue for you. And so the impact that she could make at these larger companies was just limitless. Mm -hmm. And so she was also in connection to them through associations that she worked with and this kind of niche gift that she has. So over the course of the year, I said, I, I want you to work with larger companies. And she had even told me at the time, she was like, oh, I kind of want to work with mom and pops because it's like what my heart is calling me to. And I said, I hear that, you know, people work at 
big companies too. At, at corporations, people work. And so, you know, I think you could find also people who felt close to you in their heart at these larger companies too. And so eventually she started to get larger and larger clients. And based on the way that I had created the consulting package that I did for her, she turned around and sold that to somebody else that she was working with, which I, I was just talking today. A lot of us do this. If you have uh, always had trouble charging well for your services, but you really get all your courage going and you invest in a $10,000 coaching program, and that's like, that's a really big deal. <clears throat> Very often, we, the next thing you turn around and sell is like a $10,000 thing. Why? Because you've broken the thing in your mind that says, nobody will pay $10,000 for this. You're like, I just paid $10,000 for this. And that was a lot of money for me. So she had done a $60,000 engagement with me and she turned around and sold a $60,000 engagement. And I was like, there you go. So the spell is broken. But that's mm. actually, I think, not a good size for her. So she's since done larger and larger engagements. And in the first year she worked with me, she added $600,000 in new revenues and went from one fifty dollars to seven fifty. So that that's a good thing, but you can kill yourself with too much business, which is why a lot of the work that we had to do was on how do you structure your work and how do you structure your day and how do you take care of yourself uh, and how do you set and create expectations with clients so that they don't think for whatever they're investing with you that you're going to be here or that you're going to be on site. A lot of times, and, and it's not just big companies, little companies too, if you're in their vicinity and sometimes if they're, they're not, they get addicted to seeing you in person. And so one of the things I've done with a lot of my clients is say, you don't come there all the time because then you become an employee. They're used to seeing you all the time. And then you lose the some of the power that you have as an outsider and the specialness of you being on site goes away. So I had her go in for like a kickoff or milestone meetings. And, you know, if there's a problem, obviously you go in. So you really want to wean people off of your physical presence. Even before pandemic, when everything was remote, I was saying, don't get the client used to you being present there all the time because you lose so much time in whether it's mm -hmm. flying there or driving there, you, you lose a ton of time in that. So uh, that's one of the transformations that we did was really working on weaning her clients off of needing to see her in person and just packaging and pricing services in a different way. Once you have as many clients as you feel like you can work with, that you're you have a ceiling on your revenues. And so a way to scale, there are many ways to scale, but a really good way to scale is to do a, like a signature system. So I had another uh, set of clients, this is three consultants who work at a small consultancy and they had been kind of stuck at a revenue plateau. And the reason was because they constantly did work for their clients, brand new work every time they were like, well, we'll create the, the thing. We'll co-create it with you. And kind of like one thing that they thought was their a special thing about what they did was that they co-created it with the client. So the client had ownership of it. And I was like, that's actually not that special because you're making new IP all the time that you co-own with the client. Why don't you just come in with your own IP, tell them this is the right way to do it. We know we've been doing this for years. We're experts in this. And then you can work on adapting it to the client. So we expanded their capacity by creating a signature system so that they it's much easier for them to deliver the services. Now, an interesting thing was that the way they got premium pricing, so like $100,000 engagements and higher, was that they included all the hours of development of IP. So here's an interesting thing that happened is if $75,000 of the value of an engagement is developing custom IP, what do you do when you're using your IP? Mm. Well, you still charge them a hundred and something thousand dollars because the value you're bringing isn't in the development of it. It's in the having of it. It's in the value of the IP itself. So they mm. freed up an, uh, a lot of capacity and <clears throat> they realized, oh, the value we're bringing isn't all this, you know, studious work we're doing. It's that we're bringing value to the client. And so mm -hmm. th those projects are forever going to be way more profitable because they're just saying, hey, we're just worth $150,000 yeah. and that's it. I, 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 I love that. It actually reminds me of a story with Picasso. <laughs> Picasso was uh, hanging out at some cafe and you know, a woman comes to him and say, hey, Mr. Picasso, can you draw me a, a picture? And say, sure, no problem. You know, it took him 10 seconds to roll something. And he said, that would be $500. And she mm -hmm. was like, what? It only took you 10 seconds. Yes, it took me 10 seconds, but it took me decades of work in order to make this beautiful painting in 10 seconds. Yeah. It reminds me of that exactly. So totally. it's not the customized work that's worth something. And then yeah. you give your previous intellectual property for free. But yep. it's 
you add in everything else, decades of work for you to yeah. hone this beautiful, you know, unique process and plus the adaptation or the modification or the customization, everything together. So thank you for that. that the really experience cool. to know what to customize and how to customize it. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was beautifully articulated. Uh, do you have a couple more minutes? Can we mm -hmm. some? Okay, beautiful. Thank you. Appreciate this it. is the end of my day. It's it's wine o'clock on the East Coast. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So, yeah. so many different things I could ask, but actually, why don't we start there? Like, what makes you so energized? Are you always this? This is the end of your day. You're still so energized. Yeah, like, I'm, how, I'm, how, I'm, I'm an energy your, person. How do you cultivate your energy? Level? Uh, my husband has taught me that I, when I spend energy, I gain energy. So that got me very, very seriously working out several years ago. I think I'd been kind of streaky with it, but, and then I noticed that the more I worked out, the more energetic I was. And mm. a year ago after an ayahuasca experience, I quit coffee. Oh. And mm. so I don't have the, any of the peaks and valleys as much anymore in my energy. My mom is the same way too. So, I mean, I wake up and I'm go, 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 go. You'll rarely see me. I might on a weekend, you know, spend a day on the couch with the dog and cat, but most of the time I have a lot of energy and, you know, I'm in my joy and genius zone when I'm talking about my work, because I love what I do. And I love the concepts. I love the ideas. I love the energy of the, the work itself. So this is among the most energized. So you'll see me. Mm, thank you. This is me being energized, by the way. <laughs> uh, so, well, that's good to know. Cause I like, I can't be around a lot of people like me. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I will find the balancing people. Uh, yeah, my husband isn't an energizer bunny either. And when I'm around other people who are like super, super energetic, I can only be around them for short doses. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you. So a lot of people are going through their own transformation moments right now due yeah. to pandemic, due to economic forces, due to the market forces, due to relational forces, you know, everything yeah. all collapsing to one, like an yeah. ceremony, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what you just described sounds so smooth that you oh you just grow from you know a yeah. uh, hundred thousand business to a million to five mm -hmm. million to 20 yeah. whatever that is uh, if you can contextualize the actual emotional journey mm -hmm. of your client so that way yeah. it makes it a little bit more human because otherwise on paper it's just oh you just do this 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 yeah. this this and then ta-da hundred million dollar business yeah totally i was just listening to the C ceo of spotify on an interview the other day. And he said, every day is about oscillating between feeling like we found the greatest idea ever and then dread, like we're going to be driven out of business. And he said that it has always been that way in business, but that in the last, you know, two or three months, it's just that the oscillation got faster and faster. First of all, I was delighted to hear anybody talk about that. And I think the, the kind of bipolar, energy that we have as entrepreneurs is that you are driven every single day between the feelings of like, oh my God, this is going to be the best thing ever to, oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. And oh, they, they loved my email. Oh my gosh, I got so, they, so much hate mail from that. Or my ad is going to perform. My ad is not performing. It is an emotional roller coaster every single day, at least for me. And I know a lot of my clients are also you know, they're more uh, empathic and sensitive, which is why they're in tune with well, they're people helpers. So they're in tune with people, but also they're in tune with like larger forces and things like that. And to me, uh, I couldn't work the first two months of pandemic. I mean, I did work, but I didn't like I was not myself and I couldn't focus and I couldn't create anything and I didn't feel like leading people. And it was just a lot. And I think it's important for people to know because I, I I know that a lot of people us work in isolation. <clears throat> so if you don't have a peer group that you can go to and you can see, oh, wow, everybody had like a really tough time. And that's why they were eating and drinking in isolation so much because we were like, this was really hard. And I think you have to be gentle with yourself. And this is one of the things that I say constantly to my clients, be gentle with yourself. Do, don't push. I saw this amazing movie a few years ago called um, Among the Clouds. And it was about these monks in China who live in the mountains. And there was one of them who was a, a lady monk amongst all of the, the men. And they came into her house and they saw kind of how she lives and things like that. And one of the things that she said was, when you push hard, you get hardship. 
And that has stuck with me ever since because I'm a pusher. My normal, I'm like, no, no, I'll make it happen. I'll push, 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 push. But what I've been taught by the universe is that isn't the way that we make things happen. That's Mm. to me, it's a very immature form of power is Mm. the pushing. And I'm trying to be at ever more mature versions of power. I have a client who the way she, when she's ready for clients, she says to the universe, here's what I want. And clients show up. And so it's easy for her to get amnesia about that in the time in between. And she'll have other, remember I said, my husband can ruin my intuitive navigational driving skills. If he doubts them, when she's working with other coaches, they'll say, well, what's your marketing plan? Where's your marketing strategy? And don't you have a, this and don't you have a, what, are, what where's your funnel? And she'll get a panic because she doesn't have those things. And she's supposed to have those things. And I'm like, that's not how you attract client. That's not how you do. I mean, if you want, we can create all that stuff, but that isn't what works for you. So each of us, I think, needs to be in tune with like, this is how I do it. And this is what works for me. And we've got to manage our emotional flow throughout the day to say, this is why I was saying they're all the best versions of themselves. Self-care, really focusing on your emotional state. This is how my clients get the best out of themselves because they know when I'm the best version of myself, I get to say, hey, I want clients. Or, hey, I'm going to write a book. Hey, I'm going to launch something. Mm-hmm. And that's how it happens for them. But if if they're out of whack energetically or misaligned spiritually, then that doesn't happen for them. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I love your stories. Uh, again, so many different directions. I mean, so layer. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I can, there's a lot of follow-up I can ask. But what actually comes to mind is if I imagine if I ever meet my younger self, my five-year-old mm-hmm. self, 10-year-old yeah. self, 15-year-old self, 20-year-old self, 30-year-old self, or even 40-year-old self, right? What kind of compassion, what kind of love, what kind of empathy would I now give them? So similarly, if your your future self is meeting your current self, how will your future self treat you, right? With the gentleness, with the compassion, with the love, with the empathy as a parent would, Yeah. right? You didn't say this, but that's what mm-hmm. I hear. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And and literally the opposite of how my younger self would treat this version of me. Right? Because my, my younger self didn't understand what it looked like to be in action, to be effective. Like what really, my younger self didn't understand how she needed to be in order to get the results she wanted. Mm-hmm. So she was doing, you know, she was get, getting some stuff done, but not in the way I think my younger self would think that I, right now I don't work. Because mm-hmm. relatively speaking, I just I just don't work as hard as I did. I just don't do as much stuff. And if something doesn't get done during the day, I'm like, well, looks like we'll do it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I just didn't ever have that attitude before. So definitely, I think our future selves would regard us with compassion. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for a lot of people to do that. I was about to say it's not hard for me. It's not hard for this version of me to do that. When I was younger, it was much harder for me to do that. But I, I still meet people who are our age and who I feel like that it's not easy for them to just be nice to themselves. I love that quote, pushing hard brings hardship. I, know. I think that at least for me, my recognition now is how do I bring more and more ease into my life? How do I bring more and more authenticity into my life? How do I bring yeah. more, more truth into my life? How do I behave more and more of who I am? And then actually disregard other people's or, or the need or the desire for other people to validate who I am and what I do. And I believe that's a life journey. It's certainly yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I mean, relative to somebody, we are. Mm-hmm. And yet relative to my own expectations of myself, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's the thing. I, I, I think, of, I don't know. I don't know how the Dalai Lama feels, but I feel like most masters are ex- experience themselves as still works in progress. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually speaking of mastery. So one thing that I'm, I'm curious to know your model about learning and mastery is the way I see it is in the beginning of learning, it's very mechanical. At, at we achieve some level of competency and it's more about the nuance, the finesse. So now you have a whole range of yeah. 
magnitude that you can now express a very nuanced and so you can actually do it in a very precise way. How do you see mastery? Curious. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I'm not sure I've thought about it. Really? Yeah, I think I'm much more about the work in progress than uh, I would say like mastery is the horizon to me. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I feel masterful in anything and that there's only a few things that I kind of would be seeking mastery in anyway. What are some of those things? Probably compassion. Mm, I don't know, maybe dog training. <laughs> well, <laughs> things like, things like that. Well, one thing I did here is your three hierarchy, right? Those mm -hmm, are mm -hmm. yeah. things for you. And then, yeah. you know, love, health, and then security, security. right? Yeah. So, I mean, it takes something to build a yeah. marriage or a relationship of 20 years. You have a chief level of mastery there. Yeah. I think communication is probably the, the place that is most important. I think it's really, it's not just important, but it's fun uh, being able to clearly communicate what you want to say. I mean, it's the promise that I make to my clients. It's that you'll tell me who you are and then I'm going to tell back to you and I'm going to teach you how to not just understand what your value is, but then clearly communicate that so that other people will understand it. So in my work, that's like my main medium of what I do. But I think in just in life in general, it's fun and interesting to be able to articulate what you want to say in the right way and to connect with other people through communication. And I speak a few languages and the that's part of the reason that I've sought that. I, I wouldn't say I'm a master in any of them, including English, but it's just the the pursuit of mastery and communication is probably, and that is what came up for me around love. Love is also a lot about, I don't know, vulnerability and self-awareness. Self I was saying earlier that a lot of the reason that we don't have issues in our marriage is because we do a lot of work individually on ourselves a lot of work. And I, again, I don't seek mastery in that because I just don't even feel like it's it's possible. It's the enlightenment thing we were talking about. It's like, to me, as soon as you're enlightened, you go poof, and then you go to another plane. I just feel like it's that is a long-term pursuit. Beautiful. Samantha, thank you so much for sharing so generously who you are, being vulnerable, being open. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things. To me, you have definitely embodies level of mastery and alacrity and clarity in really share the entrepreneurial transformational journey. And by no means is a easy path. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's a very worthy path, just like marriage, just like <laughs> entrepreneurship, just like meditation or spiritual journey. I mean, all these are, if you're truly dedicated to the horizon, the aspirational it's difficult, but it's definitely worthy. So just thank you so much for sharing everything that you bring today. You're very welcome. And it was a great conversation.